between citizen and non-citizen and what do those words mean to you? Yeah, for sure. I I grew up, you know, knowing that I was like the other, you know, like I was I wasn't uh um American, you know. People reminded me all the time, you know, call me wetback, uh, you know, beaner, all these names that 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 were constant like I I knew that I was different, that I was an outside outsider. And which was, you know, I was I was like whatever. I'm Mexican. I love Mexico and, and you know, this is this is who I am. I was there until I was nine, so now I've lived most of my life here, so it's kind of this like, like I'm I'm dad, but I'm also I'm Mexican, but I'm also American. So it's it's this kind of mix of who am I, you know, and like getting adju- adjusting my status has also been like a, um, um, I guess awakening, you know, of like oh that's that's all BS, you know, like it's not like citizen, non-citizen. It's just it's just words that people use to, um, yeah, to like divide us, you know, and I, I see it on people like, oh, you're you're you know this this kind of again like trying to divide like we are this and you are that, you know, um, I could definitely see that there's even a even higher you know of uh, nationalism, you know, like oh I am an American even all over the world. That's that's the thing that's happening all over the world. This nationalist um, view, so. Um, People care a lot about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and even the quote by Gloria and Zoldua is so interesting because they're, they're artificial borders. Mm. They're not real. And people can't cross them, but capital can very easily. But for people, it's almost impossible mm-hmm. for humans. And it's very easy for you to get turned back mm-hmm. with the slightest bureaucratic mistake. Mm. You know, and the other day I was listening to the radio and they were talking about the people who get deported. There are two planes that leave here from from Mexico every week. People are deported. (laughs) And and the reporter was standing outside where, because I guess it's a a charter plane, so it comes out of a certain door. And so she was following one particular man. And what is he going to do? He's going to turn around and come back because his whole family Mm. is here. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have a choice. His kids, his wife, everyone's here. So it's this revolving door. But in, and constant punishment mm-hmm. and exploitation. It's like because you're not a citizen. Yeah. And I think that's true for people who don't have family here also, but like need some way to have a, like make a living for their family. So mm-hmm. people being pushed out. Uh, migrant workers being pushed out of this country, deported, and then turn it, turning around to spend whatever money they have left or collect whatever money they can to just get right back through the border, which, as you're saying, is a fictional, non, you know, like a line that's subject to change, which is so interesting that it's changed so many times over history. Uh, but now, like, people talking about putting this wall as if it's going to make it concrete. Um, And I heard someone say recently, why is the U.S. investing in something so inanimate? Why don't we invest in human beings? Hmm. Yeah. I think it's it, it's 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 uh, it's a big joke. It's like so the Mexican border in Texas. It's uh, it's uh, the the river Rio Grande, right? That mm-hmm. that's the main uh, landmark that we wanted to make uh, the uh, the border. And I think it was like in. 
I don't remember when. It was, I think it was like 50, I mean, 60s, I think, maybe 50s. Maybe even before that. The the river changed, so a bunch of uh, land was like, you know, uh, like now this is part of the U.S., you know. And it was a big deal for a long time. And, it w- and if it wasn't because people were fearing that Mexico was going to become a socialist country, they're like, oh, actually, t- Mexico, here's your border again. This line, this this imaginary, yeah, it's it's it's... It's ridiculous that we still live in that. Um, the, again, these imaginary lines that I was uh, also another thing. I was looking at Africa as well, and all, all these squares. You know, it, it, it blows my mind. Another You're thing that I want about the way the, divan- yeah, the land was divided. Colonization, by yeah. Colonization. Okay. And and one more thing that I think it's funny. So nowadays people are looking at like why do people look at maps now google maps right like that is the way to go for mm. mapping right mm. so in in so Tibet, um there's if you're from china you see it that is part of china and you and if you see google maps mm. from india it looks like it's from india mm. you know so it's like all this it's it's pretty interesting yeah they weren't so nice about palestine though they just kind of wiped that right off the map recently put made it israel only and the west bank well all these things are very much linked to the power and privilege of certain countries over others Mm. but um and that's certainly true of the state here the latest ruling um says that the detention and deportation system, the government can indefinitely detain thousands of immigrants, which they're already doing, but now they're saying that it's legal. Mm. And on Democracy Now!, Michael Tan from the ACLU was talking about that process where people can be held for months or even years while fighting deportation cases without a bond hearing the basic process which determines whether or not you need to be in prison in the first place. Mm. And on any day, there are thousands in that situation. Um, And, you know, they don't have access to basic rights that, and I think that it's a controversial issue. There's two really strong dissents on the Supreme Court. So there's still possibility, but I was wondering, Ezra, what do you think about that that ruling and also the latest what's happening with ICE and whether and how you feel like that is it affecting people's daily activities in the, this country? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's again dehumanizing people. You know, so how do we make? Uh, yeah, you don't you don't matter. You can just be in jail forever. And maybe you can await, maybe there's going to be a, a court date, maybe one day. Um, but even, it's, it's, it's a, I mean, just that, that system of trying to get people's cases on, it's just so, like, ridiculous. I was listening to a podcast of they're just losing papers left and right, you know? Like, they have, there's no system now because Trump is putting all these judges and, you know, people have years and maybe their case like there, there was another case of a person that w- was um deported but still in jail and they couldn't take him out because oh sorry you're deported you're gone already we have you that you're gone it's like well i'm not i'm right here so like, well, well i don't know we don't know what to do it's like it's ridiculous this system that's within the prison 
And again, it's dehumanizing people. It's How do you think that affects like the way people move throughout their day? Uh, I mean, documented people or people, you know, who fear under this rule would be affected. Yeah, it's totally fear. In in Austin, Texas, last year there was uh, raids happening everywhere because uh, Austin is a sanctuary city, and the ICE wanted to like, well, we're gonna show you, and there were constant, constant raids in places where they used to be safe places you know and, and, and they're they're all gone now there's people don't care anymore they're going to schools they're going to churches whatever they can p- take people they will mm. get you right mm. so it's constant fear the community's in constant fear all the time and it's scary it's scary and and again it's like this mental chain that people get like physically it's like a physical thing like i felt that physically you know mm. it was not just like emotionally and you know mentally but physically i felt down it felt like i was less than human than mm. uh, than my peers but there's also people organizing against this as well right like there's there are migrants there are uh immigrants that are speaking out against this there's been a number of people arrested recently who have been doing a lot of organizing but there's still people in the street right mm-hmm. like there's still people organizing yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. just give it a quick example in austin texas uh this community where my mom um was living because she was gentrified out of her community and the community just got together right like there's just started organizing and you know like it was protests every single day and another group that i think it's amazing is the dreamers you know they're organizing Im- like at the capitol you know, uh, lobbying mm-hmm. like oh, every single day. They're they're an amazing group of uh, of uh, young people that are, you know, true warriors. And and all across the the the, the U.S. people are organizing um, here in Vermont. You know, migrant justice. You know, like the my uh, ICE has been targeting the, their leaders and you know the milk uh, uh, the the for, uh, milk farmers. With yeah, milk yeah, with dignity. Yeah, yeah. So it's we've and if we've we've won a few battles, you know, we've gotten people out, you know, and and it's because that pressure that we've been putting. Um, Mm. um, So that that's another good thing that I'm seeing that people are actually organizing and and combating this this ridiculous rules of dehumanizing people. Mm. Okay. So maybe we should take a quick break Mm -hmm. and have a song. So we're going to play a song now. It's called This Land is Your Land by Las Cafeteras. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Islands. Todo para todo. Nada para nosotros This land was made for you and me
All right, so welcome back. This is WBEW, Brattleboro 107.7, your community radio station. You are listening to Indigo Radio, and we have a guest with us today. Esler is in the house with us. Hello. <laughs> We're so, talking about immigration. Mm-hmm. And Esler, do you have any f- comments that you want to make, any kind of things that our listeners should know about yeah. what's happening? Yes, I think that... It's all a business, you know. It's it's all a business. You know, we live in this capitalistic machine that is just devouring nature and humanity, right? And again, this this kind of um, ice putting all these people in these prisons is all profit. Somebody's making a lot of money, and those are the same people that are um, uh, putting their money into the campaigns of Donald Trump and you know the Republican people that are you know extremists that are trying to get more people in jail because that's good for business right mm. and i think when we yeah it's it how do we change that like that's I, i'm i'm wonder, that's what i'm also thinking is how do we change that mentality of 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 prisons you know because it's all interconnected um for sure and it's a, it's part of the machine mm. of profit of appropriation of wealth from the poor and disenfranchised and actually on the border in Tucson I've been to an immigration detention center and it's very much a jail um, and uh, it's a jail but they don't have a kitchen and so one of the things we were told was that they eat Burger King for breakfast lunch and dinner um, and people are stuck there for years. And there's kind of like this almost like control station that's kind of over them, which is where we sit because we couldn't go actually inside. And you can look in and there's guards in there. And to think people who have not committed crime, their only crime was to cross an artificial border mm. with their children sometimes or children by themselves. And they're essentially incarcerated, even though they call it detention, just that they're detained, but they're incarcerated and they can be held indefinitely. And kids, I remember recently, I don't know if you all know about the protest, kids were protesting because they weren't getting a proper education in there because they're supposed to go to school. But it's really an awful situation. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's also this, rhetoric of um this rhetoric of the fact that so what the president is saying is that immigrants are criminals and they commit more crimes than the rest of um or they commit crimes against citizens of this nation and actually that's not true uh it's the it's the opposite immigrants commit less crimes because of the fear that they have around their status in this country and so that itself is also feeding this idea that people have that detention is for criminals when, like you're saying, Esler, and like Michaela is also saying that it's for profit and that the narratives that are being pushed into our heads all over the television. Um, I was actually studying with a student about Mexican immigration and these ideas that she's fed, not, she said, not only by the news, but also by like, all these sitcoms and what roles people play, um, what people are shown doing. Uh, And so 
that's also something that's feeding this beast of the prison industry system. Mm-hmm. Again, dehumanizing people. And I, so where, where I'm coming from is how do we tell those stories from people, right? How do we get the immigrant perspective rather than from being like a helicopter coming in and like, hey, this, who are you and blah, blah, blah. It's like, how do we tell those stories, right? Last year we had an uh, um, uh, event here with one of our, not event, a, com- uh, a community member, uh, Mamadou, was um, uh, mm-hmm. targeted by ICE, you know, mm. and that story was just, in, like he, was, he escaped from um, uh, Guinea uh, the p- as a political as, uh, asylum, or seeking a political asylum because he was being persecuted in Guinea. Mm. You know, he was in jail there, his brother like took him out and came here, you know, spent all of his money trying to get a lawyer, the lawyer took his money and he didn't speak in much English, so he thought that it was working out, ended up not working out, so he got the deportation order. Now he's 16 years later living here, has a family of five, and our I, you know, as soon as Trump gets in, it's like, sorry, you have to go, Mamadou, even though never committed any crime, you know, works full-time, you know, mm. it's a good member of the community, and I was able to go to his house the last day, last morning before he, he, uh, he was uh, scheduled to be deported to Guinea and and they don't have uh, a charter that goes over there so you have to buy your own ticket you buy it yourself you buy your ticket um, ICE doesn't do it you do it yourself so he he uh, he knew he was going to get killed you know and that's another thing is like people are getting killed people are getting sent back and getting killed mm. you know like there's so many different stories mm. of people getting killed from you know Central America and Mexico uh, and Luckily, he didn't do that. He went to Canada and asked for asylum, and uh, that went, you know, well. He got a job, and um, and another cool thing, he might be coming soon. We don't know yet. That that's maybe maybe too soon to talk about that. But I think he might be coming soon mm-hmm. back. So that's a happy story. But again, it's like, how do we change the narrative of like how do we humanize these people, and how do we tell their story from their point of view? Mm. Right, and I, we don't. We have to wrap up right now and go to a break, but. Also, I feel like we, the other thing we have to humanize is these other states because the other piece to it is that while people do face persecution in other countries, they also f- face persecution here. Mm. And so the idea that the third world is a disorganized mess that is after its own citizen also is something that is a myth, although we know that it's real that that people are persecuted. So I feel like, but we have to kind of hold those both things and really analyze specific situations and specific times in history. Right. Otherwise, we get down, go down the slippery slope, and p- because we're taught to be xenophobic, it's really easy to demonize other countries mm-hmm. mm. and say a man, um, U.S. is the land of the free and the mm-hmm. home of the whatever. What is it, brave or something? <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. True. All right, so we are going to a song break. We're going to be talking. Uh, I'm sorry, we're going to be listening to Sweet Honey and the Rock. And after that, we'll talk to Will from Migrant Justice. And we want to thank Ezra for being with us. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you for Ezra. inviting me. Rockstar. All right, so Sweet Honey and the Rock featuring Jonas, Are We a Nation? Thank you. We hold these truths to be self evident that all are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We need a nation to join our demand. 
Back. This is WVEW LP 107.7, uh, your community radio station, and we have Will joining us on the line from Migrant Justice. Will, are you there? Yes, I am. How you doing? Good. Thank you for joining us. We're so happy to have you. Esler's still in the studio. Mm-hmm. And oh, great. Um, so, Will, can you just tell us about your work with Migrant Justice and what Migrant Justice is? Sure. So I'm a um one of several staff members of the organization Migrant Justice Justice Migrante. Migrant Justice is an organization that was founded and is led by immigrant farm workers here in the state of Vermont, um, mostly folks from Mexico who are working uh, on the state's dairy farms. And it's a human rights organization. Uh, over a number of years, dairy workers have uh, defined a vision of human rights and have developed campaigns to fight for and advance that vision, uh, winning things like access to driver's licenses for immigrant farm workers, Mm -hmm. uh, checks on racial profiling and the collaboration between police and uh, immigration enforcement, and most recently the Milk with Dignity program implementing in the Ben & Jerry supply chain. Nice. And in that work, do you see a divide between citizen and non-citizen and what that means here, what those words mean to you here? Sure. So um, most of the uh, community of immigrant farm workers who form the membership of Migrant Justice are non-citizens, um, certainly not everybody, um, but the, the vast majority. Um, and uh, we have a, a very large uh, base of, of allies and supporters 
who are citizens who have, have chosen to uh, use in, in various ways uh, the privileges that come from citizenship to support the work and the leadership of the membership of Migrant Justice. And so I'm wondering what, I guess, I always struggle with, and this is a, a side note, because also in California there are certain IDs you can get and without showing, with only showing your proof of address so that you can't, so that eliminates certain people because you can't be homeless. Mm. Um, but then there's a, there is another level to where your driver's license is a federal ID, so you have to show your birth certificate in order to do that. And I'm wondering what you think about that, because part of me is like, well, then maybe we should all refuse and not allow our driver's licenses to be federal IDs, and no one should <laughs> take their birth certificate in. Um, because also I feel like that's another way for people to be identified, and I wasn't sure what you think about that. It just popped into my head. Yeah, so uh, Vermont, like California, and about a dozen other states uh, have... Uh, uh, provide access to uh, driver's licenses for people who uh, don't have a social security number. Um, however, in, in Vermont, like California, um, as you alluded to, uh, the what we call here the driver's privilege card looks a little different from what the DMV calls the driver's license. Uh, you can use both to drive but one of them uh, says in red, not for federal identification. Uh, and the concern, of course, is that uh, uh, possessing a driver's privilege card is sort of a, a scarlet letter, uh, and it's something that police may use to uh, discriminate uh, against people, uh, making the assumption that because they hold that card, they're undocumented. Um, luckily, we haven't really seen that uh, be the case here oh, good. in Vermont. Uh, about 40,000 people in the state have driver's privilege cards, um, which is much higher than the number of people who don't have Social Security numbers. Mm. Um, so that in itself is not such an issue. What we have seen is the DMV discriminating against people both when they go to get the driver's privilege card um, and also uh, sharing information of privilege card holders with uh, with ICE or Immigration Customs Enforcement. And is that legal? Is it legal for them to do that? Well, it's a gray area. Um, mm. We would certainly say that um, that it's it's not. Um, or the the vast majority of practices they they claim that it is. Um, there are a couple things uh, that that we think prevent them from doing that. One is the states fair and impartial policing policy, which applies to the DMV uh, because they are classified as a law enforcement agency. Oh, really? So under oh, the wow. fair and impartial policing policy, uh, departments are restricted from various forms of collaboration and collusion with federal immigration authorities. And on top of that, uh, the DMV uh, was actually sued by uh, a man named Abdel Rababa, uh, who they colluded with ICE to uh, entrap, basically, when he uh, was getting his driver's privilege card. Uh, they worked with ICE, brought him back under false pretenses so that he could be arrested. Uh, what? He sued with the DM. Uh, he sued the DMV uh, and won, 
and in a settlement, um, uh, the DMV both uh, had to pay out a, a boatload of money and also had to agree to, to new confidentiality provisions that, that we think uh, they aren't following through on. That's so scary. That probably means that people for some time were pretty afraid to even go get that form of identification. Yeah, and people continue to be. There, there's certainly uh, fear about um, how the DMV is going to um, uh, either keep confidential people's information or not. Uh, in the case of migrant justice leader Enrique Balcazar or Kike, um, we know from both DMV records and ISIS records that prior to arresting Kike, they went to the DMV, they asked to see his application and supporting materials, and the DMV willingly provided what they refer to as an agency assist. Uh, and we think that both undermines what the point of the driver's license law is, mm-hmm. uh, and it also violates the settlement agreement uh, and the fair and impartial policing policy. That is so awful. And I, I just have to repeat that I, that DMV is a, what is an enforce? Is a federal uh, enfor- law enforcement agency? Law enforcement what? agency. Mm-hmm. Yes, I just. Even it never occurred to me, although because state of Vermont is the only place where I see those DMV enforcement mm. trucks, mm. and I always wondered yeah. about that because mm. I never think I've never think of DMV as such. But well, all right. So you talked a lot right. about right. Yeah, I mean, go ahead. It's it's bizarre. Um, and so you talked a little bit about ICE, but I don't know if you can go into more details about the existence of ICE in the state of Vermont and the recent decision about the indefinite detention being legal, how is that going to impact your organizing work? And how has it impacted it in the past? And how will it impact it going forward? Yeah, so there are um, two immigration agencies, federal immigration agencies that operate in the state, Border Patrol uh, Mm. and Immigration Customs Enforcement, or ICE. Um, And they sort of work in tandem. uh, And the overall effect of their presence is uh, the widespread surveillance, harassment, uh, detention, and deportation of immigrants living in Vermont. Um, it's sort of a, a misnomer to think of Border Patrol as as just patrolling the border, when in reality they can patrol within a 100-mile swath from wow. the border. So they have wide leeway. Uh, and to give a recent example, uh, we just had a case of... Uh, a uh, dairy worker and a father of three, Jose Luis, mm. who went to a dentist appointment in Franklin County, uh, and a Border Patrol agent staked out that clinic, uh, oh, followed what? him as he left, uh, and arrested him. Um, so that's the sort of uh, the daily uh, harassment and repression that we see from Border Patrol. Uh, and ICE operates similarly, um, but throughout the state. Uh, regularly arresting farm workers uh, and putting them in deportation proceedings. Uh, What we see is is about uh, one arrest a week in Vermont. Uh, And I think that that's surprising to a lot of people. Every time we say it, people sort of think that immigration arrests are something that happen very infrequently here and that it's more a thing of large cities Mm -hmm. or the Southwest. Uh, But it's happening here. It's happening every day. Uh, and it, it's a reality for our immigrant neighbors in the state. Now, the most recent court decision, um, which basically affirms uh, a practice mm-hmm. that 
has um, been the the case in multiple presidential administrations, mm-hmm. uh, including the Obama administration. The case that got to the Supreme Court got to the Supreme Court because the Obama administration had been fighting to keep their what they felt as as their right to hold immigrants uh, indefinitely uh, without regular access to bond hearings. Um, it's uh, somewhat limited. Uh, it, it, it's not every single person in immigration detention, but what it means is that a lot of people are going to continue to be held without access to a bond hearing. Or, in other words, they can't go in front of a judge and, and argue why they should be released. Uh, and this is uh, it just really flies in the face of, of what should be really rock-solid constitutional principles, um, that, that you can't be held in indefinite detention. And so the kind of logic of uh, the war on terror and Guantanamo mm-hmm. Bay, mm-hmm. Um, you know, seeing people uh, as enemy combatants based on being a, a racialized or religious other, mm-hmm. uh, that logic is being applied to people within the U.S. as well, uh, or in essence that immigrants are... are uh, being seen as enemy combatants, so to speak. It's just so tragic, and I feel like the anger is bubbling up because now immigrants, because it's, they're racialized, it's a different scenario than when this land was invaded and colonized. You know, so mm-hmm. most of us came from somewhere else, or our ancestors did, but only now is it a problem. Only when certain groups come is it a problem. And only certain times in history is it a problem when the prisons are full and there's enough people to do the labor that's required that a lot of people don't want to do. Then they start rounding up immigrants. And then actually, like Ezra said, to fill the privatized prisons as well. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and that's absolutely right, and and it's important, and I, I just mentioned it, but that the the policy of exclusion and mass deportation is a bipartisan policy. Sure. This isn't a question of Democrats or Republicans. This is a question of uh, a white supremacist project of keeping the United States majority white, of of excluding people who are racialized as others. Uh, and that happens uh, under Democratic administrations and Republican administrations. Uh, Obama was the deporter-in-chief. He right. deported more immigrants under his eight years than any other president before him. So certainly things are worse under the Trump administration right now and are, are escalating in some very uh, particularly horrifying ways. Um, but we shouldn't kid ourselves to think that uh, this is a question of just a couple policies. Uh, this is really ingrained in the, the history and politics of the United States. For sure. And it and it's, the capitalist system requires it. Sad. That's right. Um, are there any other final comments that you want to make, make, make Will? We're so happy to have you today. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I just wanted to uh, loop back briefly to uh, the Milk with Dignity program, because mm-hmm. I think this is one of the most exciting advances that's happening uh, for uh, uh, workers, not only here in Vermont, but anywhere in the country right now. 
uh, in October of last year after uh, a hard-fought three-year campaign, uh, Vermont dairy workers sat down and signed a legally binding contract with Ben & Jerry's, one of the largest ice cream producers in the world. Uh, And under that contract, Ben & Jerry's uh, is implementing a program created by Migrant Justice in their dairy supply chain that codifies workers' definition of human rights and dignity uh, as a code of conduct in every farm. Uh, And Ben & Jerry's is going to be paying a premium uh, to farms in order to uh, help farms come into compliance with that code, raising wages, improving housing, guaranteeing days off and adequate breaks and paid vacations and sick days, uh, ensuring health and safety protections are in wow. place, uh, and ensuring that workers are free to uh, uh, speak up uh, and, and defend themselves uh, and do so without fear of retaliation. So this is a really phenomenally exciting thing uh, that's on the cutting edge of labor organizing in the 21st century, and it's happening here in Vermont thanks to the uh, courageous leadership of dairy workers in this state. That is really inspiring, and I think that's where the hope comes in, that we're not helpless. Mm. Like, as we're saying, like you can organize, and there's all kinds of connections that we can make across the board, and that we have strength as people together. It doesn't matter what yeah. our status is. Mm. Yeah, that, I mean, that that's absolutely right, and, and that this incredibly inspiring and transformative victory was won in the face of uh, in intense, intense repression from the government that the leaders of this campaign over the course of these years, they were being arrested, they were being put in deportation proceedings, uh, and and the community at large was being terrorized by this constant threat of arrest and deportation. But despite that, people continued to organize, and certainly with the support and solidarity of, of many uh, citizens, many non-farm workers, uh, many allies across the board, uh, but always with the leadership of, of the community itself. Wow, thank you so much. Thanks so much for sharing that story with us. That's really hopeful, and uh, we hope to hear more great things about the, the work that migrants are doing, migrant workers are doing in the state. Thanks for being with us, Will. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate the invitation. Okay, thanks, Esler, and we're going to take quick break and then come back to close out all right so we're going to be playing uh this next song by carlos santana la migra
we're back. This is WVEW 107.7 LP, Indigo Radio. And we had our show today on immigration. It was a really enlightening show. I want to thank, again, Esler and Will for being with us. Mm. Um, we just have a couple of announcements to close out the show. Remind you, Chris Levency is running for the BUHS number six school board. A local teacher in Springfield, Vermont. He's lived in Brattleboro for the last 10 years. And he's running for number six, BUHS number six school board. He's been on many local committees. He's active in local educational organizations and is committed to the success of our local children. You can find out more in this weekend's Reformer, right, mm-hmm. about what he's doing. Mm. And there's also an announcement. Brattleboro Solidarity will be hosting uh, a men's study group. Uh, it's entitled Men, Patriarchy, and Capitalism. The group is going to meet weekly uh, from 6.30 to 8.15 p.m. at the Brattleboro Food Co-op. That's every Thursday for four weeks between March 15th and April 5th. For more info, you can check out the Brattleboro Solidarity Facebook page. There's all kinds of info there on readings and topics. Ezra, would you join a group, Men Solidarity? Mm-hmm. Men, what is it? Men? Men, Patriarchy, and Capitalism. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm already on... Uh, uh, what is it called? I'm, uh, I, I, I'm going on Facebook on the event. Are <laughs> you? <laughs> You're already on there. Are you on there on I'm your there phone? Already. He's there. Going on his phone. I'm going right on there. Facebook. That's right. <laughs> Fight patriarchy. <laughs> All right. So thank you for listening. We'll close out maybe with the rest of that song. Or you want to play? Uh, oh, Rebel Diaz. Yeah, this yeah. is a great song. Rebel Diaz, I'm an Alien. All right, y'all. Next Have week. Have a lovely Sunday afternoon. We'll be back. Wednesday from 1 to 3 p.m. Come riding along on my carousel. Maybe you'll catch the brass ring this time. You can hear me on WVEW LP, Brattleboro, 107.7 FM. We are your community radio station. Welcome, friends, to another edition of Economic Update, a weekly program devoted to the economic dimensions of our lives, jobs, incomes, debts, the interest rates we pay, 
those our children are facing and those coming down the road in an economy that is changing and changing fast. I'm your host, Richard Wolf. I've been a professor of economics all my adult life, and that I hope has prepared me to offer you these interpretations and analyses of what's going on in the economy around us. My eyes were caught recently by an article in New York Magazine that in turn was based on a research paper produced by the National Bureau of Economic Research. Both the National Bureau paper and the New York Magazine article uh, 